0: Patience and trust are fundamental, not to say impose, but to have this top-down approach does not work completely.
1: Welcome to SOLA Spotlight, the podcast from the Society for Learning Analytics Research, SOLA. In this podcast series, we have conversations with guest speakers to engage the wider community with leading research, practice, and key issues in learning analytics. I'm Ishan Tsai from Monash University, the host for this episode. We know that learning analytics is not equal to dashboards, but a learning analytics dashboard is certainly the most prominent artifact that users interact with when it comes to learning analytics. In today's episode, we want to find out what story a learning analytics dashboard can tell and for whom. I'm joined by two special guests to discuss their experience with the design and implementation of learning analytics dashboards. First, I have Dr. Martin Kloster from the Swiss distance University of Applied Science. Martin has rich experience in supporting the use of learning analytics dashboards to improve students retention. I'll let him tell us a bit more about himself.
0: Thank you. So, yeah, my name is Martin Hosta. I am currently a research fellow at uh, FFHS, uh, which is uh, uh, University of Applied Science in uh, Switzerland, in Brig. Uh, and I spent, uh, before I spent, I think seven years at the Open University um, being part and setting up the project called OU Analyze, that is a project to Uh, identify students at risk of failing by machine learning uh, methods and putting this into uh, practice with teachers. So the end goal was that teachers will use this um, tool to help their students and improve their teaching practice.
1: Great. Thank you, Martin. Welcome. Next, I have Fabio Campos with me Fabio is from New York University. He has done lots of interesting work in the area of human-computer interaction, notably linear analytics dashboard design. I'll let him tell us a bit more about himself, too.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Fabio. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. Uh, I'm currently studying at NYU, New York University, um, under Professor Chris Hoadley but I'm also part of LEARN, the Learning Analytics Research Network. Uh, In the last five years, I actually also worked with Professor Jun An at the University of California at Irvine, where I conducted most of my work related to learning analytics dashboards and design.
1: Awesome. Welcome, Fabio. Thank you for joining us. So my first question for both of you is, What is a learning analytics dashboard? Can you tell us a bit more? What can we see? What is a learning analytics dashboard for?
0: Okay, so learning analytics uh, dashboard, Uh, to me, it's a a tool, it's a software, but mostly it's a tool that is either for students, teacher or any other user in the, the educational institution that is showing uh some interesting and updated uh, data that are hopefully uh, relevant for uh, supporting students in their learning i think what is what is crucial here is the term also updated not only the important because uh, this clearly distinguishes from the other type of um, visualization that you get and that's the report right while in the dashboard you really strive for having the data even in real time, but mostly updated, so you, you always have the up-to-date uh, data to show. Um, for me, a learning analytics
2: dashboard is a control panel of various aspects of learning, whatever you decide to measure and keep track of. So when I think of a dashboard, I think more of a place where I see multiple, multiple instances of data, at once and I can um, I can have in a general an overview of what's going on. I also think that we use the term dashboards for everything and sometimes in my opinion erroneously. Uh, we should not use dashboard to a representation of data or to a visualization or to a report of a specific variable or a specific aspect of learning. Uh, I think sometimes we're overusing this term and we should keep in mind that a dashboard should should be this place where you have the bird's eye view, the overall uh, view of whatever learning process is going on.
1: Great. Thanks for this basic lesson for us about what a learning analytics dashboard is. Do you have any example of successful adoption of a learning analytics dashboard in any particular context?
0: So uh, the example from my experience is the mentioned OU Analyze project where I'll repeat it now where we really developed something um, directly for the teachers that will help them to track the progress of their students and identify when they should um, uh, convey some action with them. And I think I, I really like what, uh, what Fabio said because it's, it, it should give you some kind of a control and not just a reflection. And I think sometimes, uh, many or what I see very often is just the dashboard is something that makes you to reflect or to see something, but then the control is the missing point so hopefully what we what we are able to do is to give teachers something when they are able to come and see exactly what uh, what they can do and how to support their students at the moment uh, it's 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 uh, adopted by uh, it's available to all the i think more than 300 uh, modules at the open university
1: yeah it's really cool how about Fabio, have you had any successful experience?
2: First, let me give you an example of a, like like Martin said, a hopefully successful example of a, 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 a learning dashboard. So Junan and I, and uh, of course, uh, our research team in various universities at the US, we, we've been con- conducting this study with a co-design process of a dashboard with teachers, and uh, coaches. So in some schools in the United States, coaches are, let's say the teachers of teachers or those who will engage in teacher preparation or professional development uh, inside of the school or within the district. So we have been uh, developing dashboards for these two populations, for both the teacher and the teacher of the teacher. And the dashboard in this case is tool for totally, totally, Aimed at reflection but uh, with one big difference from what we see especially in the higher education environment the measures that we have in this dashboard are what we call practical measurement so they're measures of how the teacher is conducting uh, teaching so one example is a measure of how whole class uh, discussions are being conducted or a measure of how small group discussions are being conducted. Um, And these measures come from the students after each class through a survey. So in this work, we develop the measures with the teachers and coaches. And when I say we, again, this is a huge research group across five universities in the US. So we develop the measure. And then after the measure is developed, we develop with them the dashboard and the report So where these measures will belong and for each one, a report page. Right now, we're opening this project to to the rest of the country and the world. Uh, But so far we have been doing this with four school districts in the US. We hope actually that teachers and their coaches, they sit together, let's say synchronously or asynchronously and they see what students said about a particular aspect of a classroom. Uh, so that they can devise a plan. And they can devise a plan from uh, Tuesday to a Thursday or for the rest of the semester uh, by looking into this data. So it's a f- it's a tool for reflection and planning in this case.
1: Great. Thank you for sharing with us the uh, successful examples. Would you be able to also uh, sh- reflect on these examples and, and say anything about the factors that have contributed to the success
0: i think one of them is uh, really kind of a patience because i think in uh, in learning analytics or uh, in education things usually don't move fast so you need to be um, a really little patient and I, I don't think there is like a good example of like a revolution in how we took this system and in one year we achieved uh, completely changed the culture so it was uh, I would say like a yeah, meticulous work of maybe six years the thing is that maybe you are able to develop the, the system in, in one year but then to really work with people and uh, I would want to say convince them but to to convey the message that it's useful for them takes take some time so I think patience would be would be one thing uh and the other one is yeah uh you need to take the, the the key stakeholders from the beginning because you need to work with them so uh the way how we designed it at the beginning was we had uh, two or four two to four uh really close people that were uh, working with with us like every two weeks we had a meeting and we were like changing a lot um, because if you miss this part and if you start designing something without having this in your mind, you, you, you just you, know, you the the lines don't align and, and then probably if you if you make a mistake you should not give up and try to learn from it so uh, I think we at some point we had like a I don't know who, who idea was but at some point we had this moment that the dashboard was rolled out to everyone and, and really no one wanted to use it so um we realized that the, the the way that just not to say impose but to have this top-down approach does not work completely so uh hopefully we learn from it and we started working from bottom up uh going back to teachers and something similar that fabio mentioned uh, like coaches of coaches we we had uh, our early adapters that were teaching the next generation of of the teachers so instead of us telling teachers what to do there were other teachers telling them how they were doing um or how, how they were doing how they were using the tool which uh, which made uh, a lot of difference compared to the previous approach
1: it sounds like there may be lots of back and forth in the communications with different stakeholders try to listen to what they're saying and then try to also respond to that so it's, it almost feels like a dashboard has to be always a dashboard in development. You always have to keep your mind open that, that there's a need to continue to to update it, to make sure it c- continues to meet the needs of the users.
0: Actually, I just I was thinking about one thing that I sometimes forget. It's also because there are so many amazing people at the Open University and the team both from technological part and also for the education, part, they are really like, it, it, it really requires that you have all the people still committed to do something and not getting disappointed after, after years. So yeah, that, that's, that's a big factor.
1: Yeah. Often the human part of work is perhaps the most <laughs> complex. And as you said, requires lots of patience. I see Fabio is having an interesting smile in his face. I'm sure he has a lot to share. <laughs>
2: Uh, first, let me agree with uh, Martin that patience is fun- fundamental because this is, this is a complicated work. It's not just, okay, I have this beautiful platform and you, you, we have this shiny graphs and yes, let me just implement this in your institution. Of course not, the human factor is huge, especially when you, ha- when you have an outside agent even if it's a partner, but we are outsiders and we will implement this thing with numbers. Uh, if I were a teacher, a professor or something in one of, one of those institutions, I would fear being controlled, surveyed, uh, tracked, will this affect my salary, my career path and et cetera. I would feel that. So uh, patience and trust are fundamental. So in our case, trust came because we established a formal research practice partnership, uh, which is which is something that uh, Junan's lab does all the time. It's a formal partnership with uh, schools, with school districts, so that they are part of the research. They have roles in the research project. It's not that okay. I agree, and you come here and you collect data. No, they have very uh, specific roles in the research project. So this trust uh, happened since the beginning, but even so we, we had to like reassure our school partners and district partners about what we were doing and that this was not about controlling them or sending numbers to the government or et cetera. So this human factor is the most important thing.
1: Are there any challenges that are especially related to the design of a learning analytics dashboard that you you could share with us and how can we tackle such challenges?
0: That would be thousands, (laughs) probably. Uh, (laughs) Let me select some. I think, yeah, one of the things is that you, um, when you have a dashboard, it's, uh, you should think it's like, like dashboard, the, the term comes from the car, right? And imagine that you, there is a limited space to put these visualizations. If you overload the whole car with the visualization, its I mean, you get lost in it. So uh, you need to really prioritize what is kind of, let's say, the most important for the users that you are developing it. And we have this uh, thing as humans that we really like to add things because we see value in adding things. And we don't see value when we remove things. <laughs> and sometimes uh, it's it's really it makes a difference like i i, I remember we, we had a really fancy graph that we were showing everywhere and then it came to teachers they didn't like it they were not using it so we had to take it back but I, of course i didn't like it or no one liked it but uh these decisions i i believe that the that they make the dashboard much better so I think we, we hopefully try to always to uh, focus on the simplicity, not to provide uh, like 20 filters where you can you know have all, all, everything, every customization that you would, uh, you would want. No, we, we try to uh, develop something with, with the target user in mind. So put things that they would really need. Uh, so, I mean, if I, take, if I just, I, I, I can talk about many, but if I take just one, I think it would be uh, the simplicity in the design.
1: So, less is more than.
2: I believe. Um, challenges. I would say everything that Martin said. <laughs> I totally agree about simplicity and a focus on the user. But I, I would also say that one challenge is we, we see lots of new studies or courses about participatory design, about saying, hey, you have to engage. Uh, the user in the design process. This is human-centered analytics. as something that I I personally like and agree with. But one question is, what exactly do you call participatory? Uh, So that's one challenge. Is it like doing everything the user wants? Is it interpreting what the user wants? Is it designing, really like creating things with the user or using... Uh, the user's inputs. Uh, What happens when you have your own institutional uh, design constraints, uh, but these constraints clash with what the the final user wants? Um, I think these are huge challenges. Like, let's say your university wants something, your district wants something, uh, and then in your participatory process, the user says something different, completely different, even says, why do we want or need a dashboard? So to what extent are you really participatory and are you opening space to the user and to what extent you have to go with your institution is something that I don't have an answer, but it's a huge uh, challenge to me still.
1: We have talked about um, the importance of involving both students and teachers in this whole design cycle. What should we expect from both students and teachers? What can we or what should we expect?
0: Um, I would say you really want at least, uh, probably both for teachers and students to have like a uh, like a committed but critical friend. So uh, there is critical in a way. So uh, what we would like from uh, from the teachers and students is to to have someone who is committed but also critical. The committed <laughs> teacher means that. Um, you know, you have someone who really uh, believes in the value of what you are doing, so it kind of gives you the motivation to work on what you are doing and gives you the feedback What uh, because they, they give you the perspective of, of, of them as a teacher because they view the, their world completely differently than you as a researcher, and you don't really see this. Uh, so if you have someone who tells you this, it's, it's super valuable. Uh, the, the critical part, part comes that they are not afraid to tell you. Uh, so, the, which actually I have to say that they usually are not, at least in my experience, so that, 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 that's good. But I think these two components are, uh, if, 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 uh, if you have them, I think, uh, at least to me, that that's all I could ask at the beginning.
1: Yeah, that's great. I, I like the, your, your use of the word critical friends. And that brings us back to the conversation we just had about the potential conflicts we may identify in this process when we interact with students and teachers that sometimes what they want may not necessarily aligns that well with what maybe the university expects. And that really tells us that a top-down approach alone does not work. But when it comes to being critical, in my own experience, it's not difficult to get staff to be critical. Students can be quite critical as well, but I wonder if we sometimes also need to encourage them more, give them a more comfortable environment so that they perhaps for both students and teachers, they need to feel that this is a safe environment. They can be critical. They can be open.
2: Yes, totally. Uh, And here, uh, I have to say, I learned a lot from uh, Juan Pablo Sarmiento from NYU as well. We, we did some work, uh, Juan, Paolo, Juan Pablo, uh, uh, Alyssa, Wise, and me, uh, with students developing a dashboard with them. And I remember well that one of the first things we had to tell the students was that, hey, uh, the two of us, Juan Pablo and Fabio, we're also students here. We're not professors. We're not uh, staff. We're not. Uh, we're like you. Uh, we're not undergrads, of course, we're uh, doctoral students, but we're also students. We're doing this for credit here. So hey, let's 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 uh, ease things uh, and, and let's take it easy because uh, students were a bit nervous in the beginning. And for the design process, balancing power was very important in the beginning. So we were in the room with them only only, students working together. And this like very, very simple information statement made things really uh, easier for all of us. So I think like balance of power and uh, balance of expectations is really, really important when designing with students.
1: Another important topic when it comes to learning analytics dashboards is sense-making. Uh, We know that there are challenges for end users to make sense of the information presented by learning analytics dashboards sometimes. Um, So it's not always intuitive when it comes to making sense of learning analytics dashboards. Would you have suggestions for user training or for learning analytics dashboard design in this aspect?
0: Uh, So... From uh, from my experience, I, I already mentioned um, the the thing that did not work that well is when only a researcher or developer is involved in telling or explaining teacher what is this uh, dashboard about. But if you put uh, another teacher in the middle who already has experience with the dashboard, I think the teacher is much uh, better in articulating in uh, in their language what uh, what the dashboard means and uh, i think it also leads to like also to setting up this environment that we just uh, mentioned the safe environment and i think that also they can really focus on understanding the, the dashboard but yes there is also the the, the issue of of digital literacy and uh, literacy in general so uh in my experience, there were real problems starting from teachers not being able to uh, identify a selection box on the uh, in the dashboard, uh, right? Uh, so to have kind of a friendly platform for uh, for that for them where they can ask these questions and not being afraid to ask this question also also helps. And uh, these uh, issues in the last years that kind of um, recurring uh, uh, issues of uh, how to read the graph what does this really mean what this how to spot that maybe this graph has some limitations because there is some uncertainty uh, led us to uh, to now actually in in, in Switzerland we are uh, in a phase of developing a mooc that uh, should prepare teachers to get these basic literacy skills in learning analytics uh, even before so hopefully uh, then when they will see the dashboard for the first time, maybe they will be already uh, familiar with some basic terms and uh, they will just need to focus on the very specifics of, of, of each dashboard because also every institution is, is a bit different.
1: Fabio, is there anything you would like to add? Um,
2: I would say that for sense-making in, uh, in the case of the dashboards that we developed in our research group, What really made a difference was uh, your position in the school or districts ecosystem. So we found out, and this is a a paper we published in the Journal of Learning Analytics recently. It's uh, the making sense of sense-making paper. We found that like teachers are more likely to look at a graph and jump to Uh, explanations. Oh, I know what happened, because it's his class or because he's more connected to the classroom environment. And this sometimes uh, narrows possibilities for inquiry or for reflection or for understanding, because he's too certain about the response or or about interpretation. While coaches uh, are more prone to ask more questions, what we called a generative uncertainty they're more uncertain about what a graph is saying, but this uncertainty is very generative for uh, inquiry and for devising pathways for uh, instructional improvement. So one thing that for me makes total, like a big impact in sense making is uh, who you are in this ecosystem of a school or uh, the district and what type of job you have what type of training you had Um, and teachers tended to like overfit let's let's use this word overfit their explanations to the graph so in terms of sense making this is what i'm learning and i hope i can uh, explore more this uh, this difference
1: awesome thank you so much martin and Fabio, for this excellent insightful conversation I have learned a lot from both of you really enjoyed it thank you so much for joining us today right so at the end of our podcast we invite our special guests to play a fun game called two truths and a lie and our guests will share with us three statements about themselves two are true and one is a lie and we'll find out which one is a lie in our last episode, we featured the current solar executive committee, Rogers Kalisa, Nia Duwa, Roger Acevedo, and myself. Uh, we each shared one statement about ourselves because there were too many of us. But today you are sharing three statements with us. Um, so last time, who was telling the truth? Who was telling a lie? Uh, within one month after I moved to Melbourne, I had a close encounter with a snake.
0: I'm, uh, I'm actually lucky that I was, uh, I was part of the first uh, international learning, the first conference in Bath, uh, Canada, when the learning analysis community was studying and that was really interesting and I liked it. Um, I rode horses competitively for most of my younger life.
2: Have a black belt in Shaolin, White Crane Kung Fu.
0: Mine was the lie. I did not participate in the very first LA conference already.
1: Okay, now let's invite today's guests to give us their three statements for two truths and a lie. Uh,
0: Statement number one. Uh, For some years, I have been trying to make a perfect egg benedict. Statement number two. Uh, I did a handspring over a gate when I was 20 years old. And statement three, I used to play the piano in the band of my previous department.
1: Mm. Fabio, what's your guess?
2: Number three.
1: We'll find out later. Okay. Why don't you share with us about your statements, Fabio?
2: So my statements are, I am trained as an oil painter. That's number one. Number two, I once met uh, Jesus Christ walking in the street. And number three, I had to escape from a wild hippopotamus uh, on a lake in Africa.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Which one is a lie?
2: Oh, you tell me.
1: Thanks for listening to Solar Spotlight. My name is Ishan Tsai. And I have been talking to Martin Holster and Fabio Campos today on Learning Analytics Dashboard. Whose story does this Learning Analytics Dashboard tell? If you would like to continue the conversation, share your thoughts on this topic, or your guess of the game insert, please tweet us at Solar Research using the hashtag SolarSpotlight. I would like to share with the audience some news about Solar. Our next webinar will be on 21st of February, 3 to 4 p.m. CEST. Dr. Joanna Drevitz and Dr. Jacqueline Wong will present their work on this topic, what happens when students get to choose indicators on customizable dashboards. The next International Learning Analytics and Knowledge Conference, Lock 22, will take place on the 21st to 25th March. Registration is still open. Don't miss out. You can subscribe to our podcast and find all available episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. To give us your feedback on the podcast series or to suggest topics and speakers, you can send us an email to solar.spotlight.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. We'll see you next time.